millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This episode is brought to you by You and Yours Financial your source for thoughtful, independent, and unbiased investment advice. Unlike banks and other financial institutions, you and yours is advice only, meaning they don't sell products and never take commissions on your hard-earned money. You and yours only offers investment advice, and it's advice customized to you and in your own best interest, advice you can actually trust. Visit youandyoursfinancial.com to learn more. Um, I don't really know how to do this. We are here on King Street East in Ward 3 of Hamilton, staring at a block's worth of mostly boarded up businesses and homes. We're not describing this as some sort of poverty porn or anything like, oh, poor Hamilton, look at all this. What was supposed to be a bright, exciting future for Hamilton and and this stretch of it in particular with the development of an LRT transit system has now basically done the complete opposite. And all of these buildings, yeah, were many of them were purchased by Metrolinx so that they could be demolished to widen the road to make room for this LRT system. And now that system ain't happening and no one knows what's going to happen. And Metrolink still has the buildings and is even some people's landlords. Ah. This is the story of how the Doug Ford government upended the transit future of Hamilton in one afternoon. Just days after the legislature rose for the Christmas break last month, the Doug Ford government announced it was killing the Hamilton LRT, a project a decade in the making. Evidently, they thought they could get away with it. And maybe they were correct to an extent. Most of the Toronto and national media has moved on from this story. But Jonathan and I wanted to learn more. So we went to Hamilton to take a look at the follow-up from this cancellation. On this episode, we talked to a couple of Hamilton city councillors, including one who made an effort to physically chase down Transportation Minister Carolyn Mulroney following her uh, aborted shit show of a press conference, and another councillor whose ward is probably the one most affected by this decision, filled now with boarded-up buildings. And we talked to Keith Leslie, a longtime Queen's Park reporter who grew up in Hamilton. I'm Jonathan Goldsby, news editor at Canada Land. This 
episode represents my first time in Hamilton since I saw Disney on Ice, what was then known as Cops Coliseum, in 1991 or perhaps 92. I'm Allison Smith, publisher of Queen's Park Today. I'm a big fan of Hamilton, including its bar, Happy Hours, with a Z. And this is Wag the Doug, a pop-up podcast about Doug Ford popping up in Hamilton, Ontario. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. As we mentioned, this episode is brought to you by a new sponsor, You and Yours Financial. Have you ever wondered whether the investment advice you're getting is really right for you? Or is it right for your advisor? Advisors at banks and financial institutions often get paid through hidden commissions for selling financial products. So how can you be sure they're working in your best interest? With the You and Yours portfolio second opinion, you can get your current investments reviewed to make sure they're right for you. You and Yours also details all the fees that you're paying, hidden or otherwise. That leaves you with the knowledge you need to make informed decisions about your financial future. Because you and yours is advice only, they don't sell products or take commissions. So you can be certain you're getting the best possible advice for you. Visit youandyoursfinancial.com to find out what your investments are actually costing you. Once again, that's youandyoursfinancial.com for investment advice that you can trust. So Jonathan and I are here at Hamilton City Hall the site of a ongoing budget meeting outside in the council chambers right through this glass door near us. Which we thought was, you know, a glass window is wonderful transparency into uh, into the council chambers. But it turns out if you walk up to the window to watch the proceedings, the windows will in fact slide open, revealing the self-speed doors that will allow you to stroll directly onto the council floor. Um, all the councillors will look at you when you do that accidentally. Yes. Right across the street from here at the Sheridan Hotel, just over a month ago, Transportation Minister Kalama Rooney was supposed to hold a tech briefing and press conference to announce that the Doug Ford government would be canceling a very long plan, decades in the making, Hamilton LRT system. She uh, ended up fleeing without holding the press conference, effectively and literally being chased out of town by angry residents and local politicians. Should she have had this press conference, what would her justification for canceling this system have been? I mean, this the the claim, the that was basically immediately recognized as transparently bullshit was that the price tag for LRT had ballooned something like fivefold over the figure that had previously been cited and that that in itself was justification for canceling the project. Now, if the price tag had actually ballooned fivefold, that would be a consideration. But you wouldn't trust Doug Ford's math on this any more than you would trust Doug Ford's math on anything else. I don't know if it's a fictitious, but it was... It was uh, grossly misleading. That was bullshit. That was the stated Hamiltonians reason. Hamiltonians 
and Ontarians had been hearing for years that it was going to cost $1 billion to build this LRT. After the PCs took office last year, the estimate was sort of rejigged. It was going to cost about $3 billion, which would include operating costs for years. And then they said that was okay, and they promised to keep it going up until December when part of Mulroney's announcement was that she or the government had commissioned a third-party independent study of the costs, and now it was going to cost $5.5 billion. That also includes the 30-year operating costs, but again, is just much, much higher than any number Metrolinx has ever put out. So the Star reported that the difference in the estimate was attributable largely to higher estimates for construction vehicles construction financing and contingencies for any cost overruns built into the budget. I mean, the part that gets me and, you know, one of the reasons I really wanted to do this episode is one that I don't think the issue has been getting enough attention. And two, it's such a symbol for why Canada and Ontario has such crappy infrastructure. I mean, Metrolinx has an office filled with staff, paid, you know, provincial staff here in Hamilton. Many people have been working on this as their full-time job for years. Millions has gone into the planning. You know, they already fought the political battle for it here at City Hall over the past few years. And it's all of this, like, human effort and for freaking nothing. And now the city is worse off than where it started. For as long as Metrolinx has existed under the name Metrolinx, which is to say only about, I don't know, 10, 15 years, it's been very much been a creature of at the whims of the provincial government and the Ministry of Transportation. Uh, in theory, it's autonomous, but in practice, it never has been. Looking to what happens next, the provincial government, Carol Mulroney, set up a task force here in Hamilton. The working group has a billion dollars to decide what to do with. So the PCs have said, we're not taking anything away from Hamilton. We're still going to spend a billion dollars. Well, they can't build the plan with that. So wh- how does this billion dollars get spent? The other thing is, what does this mean for other LRT projects or transit that the PCs have said that they're going to build or at least not cancel over, you know, the next two and a half years. Is the Here Ontario LRT at risk? Is the Finch LRT at risk? Those could be canceled just as easily as this one. I mean, I don't think they'll go back on Eglinton at this point, but... So we are waiting for the council meeting to end, and we're going to talk to a few of the councillors whose wards were affected by the LRT cancellation Uh, and a few who tried to chase down Caroline Mulrooney. That'll be fun. The first person we spoke to was City Councilor Narendra Nan. The proposed LRT was supposed to run directly through her ward. Nan's executive assistant, we should note, is the partner of one of our producers, David Crosby. So your ward, I guess, smack dab in the middle of it seems to be King Street Mm -hmm. East uh, and King Street West, <laughs> where where the LRT route was supposed to mm-hmm. uh, supposed to go. What was your, I guess, you and your constituents' re- reaction to the Ford government canceling it? 
I thought, first of all, uh, the way in which they went about canceling it was the most bizarre situation of affairs between different tiers of government. So many of my colleagues around the council table did not anticipate, did not know that this was coming down the pipeline. Usually, good government relations between different levels is a, you know, a conversation at the decision-making table rather than hearing about it through a press event. Uh, so I think that the provincial government made some very bad communication decisions. If they really wanted to get a sense of that they are doing right by the residents of Hamilton, who are residents of Ontario, that they choose their local representatives to have that conversation with rather than doing something uh, focused specifically for the media. And the fact that they didn't want the public to be at that media advisory as well, uh, I think for a lot of Hamiltonians and a lot of residents felt like a total slap in the face and very disrespectful. They did not feel engaged at all in the process and uh, in fact were told that they couldn't be there. So a combination of feeling disrespected, but also shock. Many Hamiltonians voted in this previous municipal election for candidates who were pro-LRT, including our mayor. And even though it wasn't formally a referendum for the LRT, many people chose to cast their votes based on the candidates who were supportive of the LRT. And you nailed it. Uh, Ward 3 is right in the heart of the line. Uh, the majority of the properties that have been acquired by Metrolinx have been in Ward 3. The most, most number of residents who've been displaced uh, as a result of those property acquisitions have been in Ward 3. Many of those residents no longer live in the ward. And so they've been displaced from their homes, they've been displaced from neighborhoods that they've been a part of for many years, and for some people, decades. From my perspective, the commitment for the LRT was never just about a train. It was a commitment into what I'll call a revitalization by <coughs> allocating funds uh, to subsurface infrastructure that is in dire need in our municipality. We're talking about some of the oldest water mains in southwestern Ontario as well. The LRT corridor is uh, a transit corridor, and with that was the intent to create a lot more affordable housing and kind of diversify the neighborhoods from being what appear to be, for many residents, bombed out buildings that have been vacant for a long time. We don't have local green grocers. We don't have local uh, retail that pays a living wage along that corridor because the impact from the post-90s economic uh, collapse uh, is still lived and experienced on King Street East. We're seeing some really great investments going on in terms of small businesses, cafes, bars, and that kind of thing, which is helping build a culture and quality of life back into the neighborhoods. But fundamentally, from a city building perspective, the LRT was going to be the facilitator. With all of those buildings that Metrolinx purchased, you know, sitting empty right now, what do you see the future of those being? Vision versus reality is the big question right now. So a lot of outstanding questions until this task force decides what they're going to do with the billion dollars. There's that whole conversation in terms of transportation and alternative transportation investment. Then there's the reality of these properties that are now the, the property of Metrolinx. The question I have remaining is what what of that? Is Metrolinx now going to be in the business of affordable housing development? Is the province of Ontario going to use those buildings as leverage for future housing projects? Are those properties going to be sold at a below market rate so that they could be used to facilitate building affordable um, housing? Will they be potentially sold at a below market rate so that people can renovate the buildings that are there and get people back in there? 
We're facing a housing crisis, and for me, I am keenly interested in figuring out what are the possible courses of action for us as a city. And I guess what's the worst case scenario, would you say? Worst case scenario, worst case scenario is that the province decides to use property in the city of Hamilton as a money-making revenue generation stream and sell them at a very high rate and further displace affordability. Why do you think they did this? You know, there is some speculation that the province was looking at a way to reduce their uh, commitment for operating and maintenance to the LRT line. You know, perhaps they decided to cancel the project looking to renegotiate an operating and maintenance agreement between the federal government and the municipal government to make it a much better viable investment for them as a province. Uh, Maybe. My gut says, you know, at the end of the day, this is politics. And politics on a provincial level is party politics. And Hamilton is a predominantly NDP city with some liberal representation federally. Our conservative representatives in the province, there's two in the vicinity. So is this uh, one of those situations where an MP who's an MPP sitting in, the, in, the, uh, in government is getting an opportunity to have a pet project funded or pet projects funded of other conservative supporters. That's a speculation, and I don't think it's unwarranted. That's a reality of how this government seems to be making some choices about what they're investing in in terms of um, public service. And when it comes to transit infrastructure and transit uh, investments, I don't want to be accusing the provincial government of anything, but you know, fundamentally, at the end of the day, are they interested in, in investing in public transportation or are they trying to pave a way for private? Uh, we're talking about roads. So, you know, at the end of the day, uh, this provincial government is not making a commitment to climate change. They are not interested in making investments for future generations to thrive in our province. To take a billion dollars out of a green transit line and then turn around and invest it into asphalt and pavement and concrete for higher emissions and more vehicle traffic is a disservice. After Councillor Nan, we spoke to Councillor Maureen Wilson. Here she is telling us about what happened the day that Minister Mulroney came to Hamilton to make an announcement about the future of the LRT. I went to the planned technical briefing, which, as you know, uh, the mayor and all members of council were excluded from. There began a, a series of negotiations about how could we be in the room when the technical briefing was to be presented and I wasn't willing to agree to the terms of not being able to ask any questions but we got in anyhow and following um, a long wait someone came in and and there was quite an arrangement there was a, a number of mics flags platforms and someone started to take down all the equipment after um, a considerable time without a formal announcement over the microphone of the briefing has been cancelled. It kind of just sort of rippled across the room. Following that and Mayor Eisenberger having to make the announcement of what he understood it to be, um, I was being interviewed by a member of national media. And he was about to start the interview with me and he was apprised of they have located where the Minister of Transportation was located. And he said, would you mind if we did this following my, I hope, interview with her. And I said, certainly not. And he gave me the location on King Street, and I knew there was no such address. 
And I said to him, I'm willing to show you where I think she is if you're willing to um, let me in with you. So he paused for a minute and he said, right, let's go. So we rushed down the stairs of the Sheridan and I grabbed uh, Councillor Danko on the way out. My best guess was they've got to be at a federal or a provincial building. And they were at the Ellen Faircloud building at 119. We went in and sure enough, there were members of the press in the lobby and we requested on behalf of our constituents to be part of that what sounded like was going to be the debriefing and then we were precluded from going on the elevator so we waited in the lobby for any sort of contact or information i went out to the loading dock where i was able to identify where her vehicle was and where the police were and then we kind of went back and forth waiting and during that time the hamilton police service were called and uh, they walked in. I think there were three or four officers. I, I can't recall. But they didn't speak to us. Did you see the minister during any of this time? No, I wasn't able to see her, but going back and forth. And then the last time I went back to the loading dock, it was announced by, I think, a member of the press, the minister's in the car, and the car came up from the underground, and she was um, ushered out with an escort. Had you ever had an experience like that in elected politics before, where you're physically having to chase someone? No. I've um, organized plenty of media conferences and have attended them. I've never experienced anything uh, like that, ever. And what did that make you think of Minister Mulroney, like after, you know, she canceled this press conference and, you know, sort of just ran away from people that wanted to talk to her? Well, it it certainly, uh, I continue to be curious about what exactly was going to be shared at that technical briefing. So it never happened, happened, particularly in light of what transpired and the announcements that have been made since then. I can't help but think her office didn't do an adequate enough briefing and surveying of the community and didn't have an understanding of the issue and its history. Um, perhaps a somewhat skewed briefing of how it was to be received. I, I just, I, I, on paper, you're coming in to cancel a much-promised infrastructure project, and you're thinking that this is not going to be greeted with some sort of reservation, at the very least. It, it strikes me as being um, misinformed and somewhat arrogant. If we can assume that their stated reason for cancelling the project is because of their concerns about cost, if we can figure that may not be the only reason or the main reason, why do you think they they took this sudden swipe at Hamilton? There's a a big chunk in there you're asking me to set aside. I will, and and that is the issue of concern about cost Mm -hmm. Uh, because clearly what we have been able to retrieve and assess thus far is that that's an erroneous concern. And if anything, um, it's an apples to orange comparison, which is insulting to the taxpayers of this community, and I think should be a concern to all residents of every community. Uh, Why do I think they did it? Hamilton is not a, there's only one government member presently within the boundaries. Um, I think that individual, when she was on her term of council, wasn't a supporter of LRT. So there's no government representation here to champion and also to be a direct sort of uh, conduit of 
all aspects of the file. I think maybe some of it is ideological. It's not been since Bill Davis and um, the investment, pioneering investment in Go that we've seen in active provincial conservative government, I think, championing the role of rail and, and transit mobility. I think maybe they underestimated the sophistication of Hamiltonians in understanding exactly what this project is about, both in terms of how it's financed, how other transit projects are financed, and how invested people are in um, and have been in this project for some time. With the $1 billion, they say they still want to invest in transit and or transportation. What do you suspect that they want to direct that toward? Well, it's certainly a concern of, of mine, the reference to highways. We don't have any city-owned highways. We have streets, roads, parkways. Highways are a provincial uh, responsibility and they should remain a provincial responsibility. If the province finds within its mandate and it's done its EAs and it has its studies to invest in its series of highways, then God bless them. What do you think people in the rest of the province would want to know or should know about but what's happened here in the last month, year and a half or so? I think it's really unfortunate when a government comes in, promised during an election campaign, and acknowledge that Mayor Eisenberger ran on LRT, and this community voted in favor of LRT. We have spent over, I think, $110 million on LRT, and then comes in at the last hour and turns the table upside down. That is completely contrary to how good planning is done. It fails to recognize the role of urban centers in supporting and driving a prosperous, green, provincial economy. Doug Ford's want to say that Ontario is open for business. Do you think he, he's uh, exemplified that, that with this decision? Absolutely not. What are investors looking for? They're looking for predictability and stability in any investment environment. When you come in after the fact, after all this money has been expended, after all the property has been expropriated, after all of the consultation, we have investors <laughs> that have come to this community under the pretense that we will be having a high order transit system running in a certain corridor, a certain area. That is completely contrary to being open for business. It's the exact opposite. To get a wider analysis, we talked to Hamilton native and longtime Queen's Park reporter Keith Leslie. Keith understands better than anybody how the internal political machinations at Queen's Park operate. I've called a few other things, you know, since the Ford government's come in, uh, BS. But for the most part, this one I really thought was seriously politically motivated. Mm -hmm. Once the Toronto Star got a hold of those numbers from Metrolinx that showed that basically, even when they said the cost went from $1 billion to $5.5 billion, well, that was over that 30-year period. And we know that actually the Metrolinx papers had it down at about 3.7. Yeah. And the estimated cost was going to be 4. Point. So we're, we're talking like $80 million over 20, 30 years or something, with a population growth expected to jump 40% or something in, the, in 20 years. That was no financial reason to cancel that LRT. Now, there may have been other very solid reasons. 
such as the ridership numbers. I don't know if they were ever really there. Metrolinx links always seem to have some doubt about whether the ridership numbers were there to justify it. But what we've learned since this happened was that basically the day after Premier Ford got elected, the main players in this, the three main consortia, started pulling back. Hmm. That's Ellis the developers. Yeah. yeah. The developers just went, well, they just didn't think this guy was ever going to fund this, and it turned out they were right. But was it a self-fulfilling prophecy? Was their reticence part of the government's reasoning for saying, well, you know, we can't get them to even participate now. They weren't really going along with the RFP proposal. They kind of stalled out on the developer side. So maybe that helped justify the government's decision in its mind. And as well, I think, in the mm. government's mind, even though I think it was mainly because the city did not vote for PCs, they voted NDP and some liberal, but I really do think that, that they can't justify it in other ways. So they went right for these absurd numbers. Yet, we must remember, they haven't actually shown us those numbers yet. These are just mm-hmm. what the star or the spec yeah. have mm-hmm. reported. Is it just a matter of ideological opposition to LRT and or ideological opposition to Hamilton? You know, there was never overwhelming support in the city of Hamilton for this. It was, you know, split for many years. And even when the, when the mayor finally got it through, it was a long, hard fight. So there wasn't a lot of unanimity. They knew there was a lot of Hamiltonians that, that didn't agree with it. But mostly they were the people that were, you know, in Ancaster and so the, the outlying areas that weren't necessarily going to benefit from a McMaster University at Eastgate Square LRT. Uh, and I think Hamilton's always going to find that split. So the government played on that as well. But really, uh, it, it just looks so political, especially when you look at this city so desperately needs the economic benefits that would come along with it. And you look at that Kitchener LRT, and they got something like $2.1 billion in development along that line in the five years leading up to it. It's just gone into service now, but they got all that development leading up to it. Hamilton's got boarded up stores and, and, and homes up and down Main and King Street. Yeah. Holy cow. It's wild. It's just stunning. This is a city, you know, I, I run one end to the other. I love that you can go down King Street and up Maine and hit all the lights and go sail right through that city. I still love that about that city. And I see this and it just broke my heart. And then you listen to people, not just the big developers. I, I listened to one woman being interviewed and she said her and her husband, they bought just off that track. So basically she said, out our backyards and on all sides of us are boarded up homes. And we bought knowing that, you know, we figured we could live here for five years, fix it up and then sell because... The LRT would have come in. We'd have a real investment. So they were a young couple, really struggling, new fa- young family. And they've now got, they're surrounded by boarded up homes. They can't even sell theirs. And what's going to happen with those homes? Are they going to be dumped back onto the market? Is that going to depress the value of her home even more, the investment that her and her husband have made? That's just on the, the individual small family scale. On the big scale, is that city going to be left just behind? Is it going to become like a, a Buffalo or Detroit start getting hollowed out? Well, everybody goes to Toronto, Mississauga, and Oakville, and, and maybe the Niagara Peninsula area. Hamilton just can't survive without some really big investments coming in, and they're not going to get that. And LRT is, is such a game changer in the way that people address public transit. Getting people onto buses is hard. Even with a bus rapid transit system, there's still buses. LRT is where you just step on and zip. You're at the other end of the city in, in practically no time, and it's a clean, smooth ride. It's just, it feels a lot better than a bus. I'm sure there's just no getting around it. And what's even more scary, of course, is that now it might not even be a BRT. They might be looking at, you know, oh, let's expand the Red Hill uh, Parkway and and the Lincoln Expressway. What? Yeah, let's talk about that. So the task force that the minister, Minister Caroline Mulrooney, has set up was announced while we were in Hamilton Mm -hmm. during in the middle of their city council's budget meeting, uh, which just kind of seems like another sort of slight. And they are being tasked with how to spend this $1 billion, the province still says that it's going to give the city for, notably, not transit, but transportation. Mm-hmm. So 
What do you think is going to come out of this? What could? Well, it seems to me that the uh, province, by the way, they set up this committee. First of all, it's got, it was announced today, it's got a report back in, what, five weeks? Something like that. Something yeah. like that like with the its end recommendations. Of Government agencies yeah. and committees really work mm-hmm. that quickly. And the fact that the province put, was it five of the appointees and let the city name one? I think it was uh, yeah, four and one. Four and one, something like that. It basically is, t- is telling me that the province has made up its mind and knows what it wants. I wish it would inform the rest of us. So that's the big scare right now. Why is the province doing it this way? Why are they such a tight time frame? They must have something in mind already. Uh, and is that a, you know, a, a bus rapid transit system? And of course, by the way, we're not allowed to interview any members of those committees. It has to go through the Ministry of Transportation. They'll vet all media requests for interviews. So we're not going to be able to find out what those people think about that. There's a former journalist on there who used to uh, uh, report out of Queen's Park. He lives in Ancaster. He's lived this there is for Richard a Brennan, years. who's uh, known as Badger in yeah. the biz. The Badger is, mm-hmm. is on this panel. He lives in Ancaster. Ah. Well, I would rather see people in the city, quite frankly, on this committee. Now, I'm not saying the Badger can't take an objective view of it. I'm sure he can. But all of them, shouldn't we be able to know a little bit more about them, where they're coming from this? I mean, we can assume that the uh, Leona representative is pretty much an LRT in favor. And, and so hopefully they'll keep pushing that. That's what my desire is, that these people on the committee will realize that the best thing for Hamilton, the only real option is an LRT. They can't scale it back to some half-assed LRT either. It's got to be the full thing from McMaster to the East Gate. That's what that city needs. If these people recommend anything else, they're just, they might as well recommend it now because we'll know they have done it ahead of time. Well, Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger put out a statement after the members of the committee were announced. To boil it down, he says, why are five unelected individuals now the ones in charge of this billion dollars or this, you know, years and years of planning that's already gone into this endeavor? How has it now just fallen in the laps of five five people? It's a really fair point, especially from Mayor Fred Eisenberger, who's had a tough year. <laughs> but he campaigned so hard for this, and he won election after election. You know, on this particular issue, the last one indeed was pretty much a city referendum. His main opponent was opposed to the LRT. He won it. And what did Doug Ford say after that? He promised to build it. He won on an LRT. He wants an LRT. The mayor gets an LRT. I believe in democracy. Mm-hmm. And then a year later, mm-hmm. well, maybe not so much. I think uh, Mayor Fred is very right to be pretty angry about this. And yeah, why five unelected people are now going to decide or at least make recommendations to the Minister of Transportation as to what should be done here. When the city has done this, the artist renderings for this thing, which are really stunning looking for this LRT project, if you look at one of the signs, bottom of the sign of the shop beside it, it's a blockbuster video store. (laughs) They've been going through this fight for a long time, and they got there, and the mayor did push this through, and he did get the city to vote for it. So I think he deserves his LRT, and anything else is an excuse. It's just so completely disrespectful, and, and I think that the way that Leona in particular, the way they uninvited the premier, to their Christmas party. I think this is the kind of message that actually gets home to this government. And I think as well when the Chamber of Commerce uninvited uh, Minister Mulroney, said, no, no, you you best just not come here right now because of these behaviors. And then they turn around and just drop this out in paper again. It's so disrespectful to a city that's less than an hour's drive away, even in your limo. Um, (laughs) And face the people. Why couldn't you have stood up and face, you know, and because you would have had to answer questions about why. Well, yeah, you knew they were coming. Surely she was briefed that, you know, there's going to be some questions, if not from the media, from the public. Does it seem like she's in control of this? Not at all. Not at all. It seems like the file is that she's just basically the figurehead on the file, that the premier's office is running this. And as we see, there's some pretty big changes going on at the Ministry of Transportation. 
just underneath the minister mm-hmm. herself. So uh, they've got Deb Hunton from Mike Harris's office in there right now temporarily while they figure out how to change things up. So I think that ministry is feeling a little bit under attack. And I think this in particular, this Hamilton LRT, as I say, I keep coming back to it. I don't see a valid excuse from this government. Their financial one does not seem to hold water. You mentioned Buffalo and Detroit as possible, I guess, worst case scenario features for Hamilton. Do you, like, could you expand on that? Like, do you feel that, that it, there's a danger of it heading in that direction? Well, I, I think you've got the start. That kernel is already there with those boarded up homes. That's what we think of when we think of Detroit and Buffalo, that those cities have thousands upon thousands of boarded up homes that, and they can only afford to demolish about 500 to 600 a year in each city. It's that kind of urban blight that could quickly happen to Hamilton if development just dries up. And we've seen the development just dry up all of a sudden. We need money to come back just to get those boarded up homes on board in the storefronts. Are you going to get businesses in there? Are we going to see, is it going to create more boarded up? Are we going to see more people walking away? This is the real danger. That's what I say. I know those are extreme examples to get to Buffalo and Detroit, but they're not very far from us. Nowhere in Ontario is getting back that huge manufacturing base we used to have. So it's service sector economy jobs. At those, I I don't know if there's just going to be enough to avoid this urban blight continuing. So we need to reverse that. And the only way to reverse that is big project stuff. And big projects are difficult to get off the ground. They take a long time to get through. And that's exactly what this one is going through. Apparently, the Ottawa LRT went through a cancelization and, and, you know, Phoenix-like come back to life phase. Mm -hmm. So hopefully there is still, you know, reason for Hamiltonians to keep hope that this will come. I can't see anything else bringing the economic development that that city desperately needs. Thank you. Thank you very much for coming in, Dr. I think you're actually our first in-studio guest for this show. But we've like spoken to other people out in places, but in terms of actually coming in to talk to us for something, I, I think you're the first person. So th- well, yeah, thank, thank you, you very, very much. much for having me. I'm pleased to be here. Thanks, Keith. You're welcome. That was Wag the Doug, a podcast about wasting taxpayers' money in depressing, depressing ways. I'm Jonathan Goldsby, and you can reach me on Twitter at Goldsby. I'm Allison Smith, and you can find me on Twitter at, at Queen's Park Today. This episode was produced by Tiffany Lamb, David Crosby, and Kevin Sexton. Music is by Nathan Burley. The show is supported by listeners. If you like it, please support us at patreon.com slash CanadaLand. Lisa Kudrow was fired from the set of Frasier. Charles Schultz was told he'd never make a living scribbling. Missy Elliott was dropped by her label. And Rita Moreno couldn't land a role of substance for seven years after West Side Story. The stories of famous names, their lesser-known rejections, and the insights those rejections provide. We regret to inform you, The Rejection Podcast. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Jesse Cruikshank. Jesse Cruikshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout. Because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. 
Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs>